formidable crowd, sitting with their arms crossed in folding chairs, daring me to distinguish myself from the typical motivational speaker. Half of them looked as though they had spent most of the previous night partying, while the other half glared irritably with the resentment of people whose AA sponsor wouldn't let them go out. The speech went over well. For the most popular part, I addressed a disturbing trend. Increasingly, radio stations were willing to fire their DJs and replace them with a syndicated satellite feed. This feed was cheaper and easier because it meant no staff to worry about. In contrast to this depressing news, I also mentioned studies showing that the more well-liked you are, the more likely you are to keep your job. I could tell from the audience reaction. Some gasped. Some began talking with their neighbors, some squeaked as they moved uncomfortably in their chairs, that this was the most riveting piece of information I had delivered. After my speech, I met Jimbo in person. Standing next to him, staring at his shoes like a sinner in church, was his partner, Michael Diamond. Mikey knew what people thought of him and why. As we talked, he glanced furtively from side to side, as if fearful that one of his colleagues would see him talking to me and yell, Hey, Tim, don't waste your time talking to that jerk. The scene reminded me of Evangelist Jonathan Edwards' landmark 1741 sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Edwards described a lake of fire that roared directly underneath us all, with only a thin and rotting layer of canvas constituting the sole bridge across that lake. That layer of canvas was God's forbearance, and it was wearing very thin. The congregation members, hearing these words, were so convinced of their doom that instead of walking to the altar, they crawled cautiously on their hands and knees, their faces as ashen as Mikey's was today. Still staring at his shoes, Mikey asked if we could talk for a few minutes before the next event, so we sat down in a nearby lounge. There he told me that he knew Jimbo had revealed his recent personal problems, but rather than being angry about it, he was grateful. Mikey realized he was a man in crisis, and he quickly confirmed everything that Jimbo had told me. He said he felt as if he were careening toward a Guinness World Record for most hated man, not something he wanted inscribed on his coffee cup. Your speech really got to me, he admitted. I've become unlikable. The only people left in my life are my listeners, and there's less of them now than ever before. My family life is on the road to becoming a family death. If I don't fix my personality defect, I'm going to be lonely for the rest of my life. Can you help me to be more likable? The man was sincere. The tears dirtying his cheeks were proof positive that he wasn't happy with himself. I promised to help. I asked him to give me some more time to think about his issues. He sent me some information about himself, including his publicity photo, which captured him scowling at the camera, and a personal note from his brother-in-law warning that he needed to find the real Mikey who my sister fell in love with or disappear from view and leave the kids behind, too. For a few weeks, I let our conversation roll around in my head. I called him once and noticed that his voicemail recording sounded hostile. It made me feel afraid even to leave a message. In the meantime, I sat down and reread Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, 
I did a few more phone interviews with radio station managers and executives to deepen my context, and I conducted some basic research on highly likable people and their habits. When I finally spoke to Mikey again, I gave him four pieces of advice on being likable. First, I said, check yourself. Have you listened to the message on your answering machine? Have you looked at your own promotional picture? Are you able to step outside your body and listen to the tone of your voice when you talk to your wife, your kids, or the staff at the station? In other words, can you be more friendly to the people around you? Next, I told him, try to matter to other people. Be relevant. Mikey never bothered to learn about other people's wants and needs. You perverted John F. Kennedy's famous words, I explained. You don't care about what you can do for others, only what they can do for you. As a result, Mikey had basically made himself irrelevant to everyone around him. Why talk to Mikey when you knew that nothing good would come of it? Besides, he was a terrible listener often finishing other people's sentences because he was in such a hurry to bring the conversation back to himself. My third piece of advice was, develop your empathy. If you want people to like you again, you're going to have to take an interest in their feelings. I heard how important that was to you when you were younger. I bet you did it by being able to get under your friends' skins and into their hearts and souls. Once you knew what it felt like to be someone else. It's time to go back. Do it again. Then I paraphrased Dale Carnegie. You will win more friends in the next two months developing a sincere interest in two people than you will ever win in the next two years trying to get two people interested in you. My final piece of advice was, get real. I told Mikey to ask his wife why she'd fallen in love with him and to ask Jimbo why he still liked Mikey so much. I challenged him to find out what was truly likable about his personality and then to bask in it. Likeability doesn't work if you have to pretend, I said. Everyone is likable, but people can tell the difference between sincerity and insincerity. Be the best Mikey you can be. Down deep, I told him, you will find the Mikey that everyone is searching for. Once you prove that you're not faking friendliness, relevance, or empathy, once you prove that you can be a friend for real, you'll be amazed at the difference it can make. A few months later, Jimbo called me with an update. Michael Diamond was acting like Mikey again. He was also working on a format change for the show, switching over from nasty shock jock to compelling current events guy. It's great to have Mikey back, Jimbo said. He added, this is like a coming-of-age story in reverse. It's as if he's regressing back to his younger days when he was a better person. Jimbo also said that Mikey and his wife had patched things up, and that Mikey was even getting along with his kids. They hadn't been to the radio station in years, but Mikey was now bringing them in for visits. Fortunately for Mikey's career, the station bosses had decided to drop the syndicated satellite feed idea, so Mikey and Jimbo were staying on as morning DJs. The last thing Jimbo told me was, Everybody who deals with Mikey on a day-to-day -day basis is happy as heck that he's likable again. It was exactly when the phone call with Jimbo ended that I decided to write this book. 
I realize that likability is truly the secret of a charmed, happy, and profitable life, and I knew that someone had to evangelize the importance of being likable. Yep, I'd gotten bitten by the likability bug. That one exchange had rocked me, and I wanted to explore the subject further. Couldn't learning how to be more likable change our world and that of everyone around us? More important, someone had to deliver the news that being unlikable is a form of social cancer. A guy like Michael Diamond would wither like an unwatered plant if he continued down his displeasing path. Nor is it healthy for the rest of us to be around these people. One of the more stressful parts of modern life is dealing with all the unlikable people who populate it. If they don't kill themselves with their own unpleasantness and rudeness, they'll drive the rest of us to drink. Our nation is so focused on efficiency and productivity that we forget that likability is truly our lifeline. People who are likable, or who have what I call a high L factor, tend to land jobs more easily, find friends more quickly, and have happier relationships. People who are unlikable, or who have a low L factor, generally suffer from high job, friend, and spouse turnover. I now believe that having a high L factor isn't just a way to improve your life. It's a way to save it. After my speech to the DJs, dozens of emails started pouring into my inbox. All told, more than 30 radio personalities contacted me with anecdotes about the impact of likability. They told me stories about themselves, their on-air partners, their families and their friends. They talked about job opportunities squandered, marriages dissolved, relationships lost, just like Mikey.